Act One of The Benefit of the Doubt by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play Mrs. Emtage, a widow, read by Lian Yao. Claude Emtage, her son, read by Thomas Peter. Justina Emtage, her daughter, read by Monica M.C. Theophila Fraser, her daughter, read by phone. Sir Fletcher Portwood, M.P., her brother, read by Todd. Mrs. Cloys, her sister, read by Sonia. The Right Reverend Anthony Cloys, Doctor of Divinity, Bishop of St. Olphitz. Read by Son of the Exiles. Alexander Fraser, Fraser of Lochin. Read by Robin Carno. John Allingham. Read by Nemo. Olive Allingham. Read by Eva Davis. Denzil Shafto, Allingham's friend. Read by Lex Hankins. Peter Alphick, Allingham's friend. Read by Josh Kibbe. Mrs. Quentin Twelves. Read by T.J. Burns. Horton, a servant at Mrs. Umtage's. Read by Charidita. Kwaif, a servant at Mr. Allingham's. Read by Campbell Shelp. Stage Directions, read by Larry Wilson. The scenes are placed at Mrs. Umtage's house in the neighborhood of Regent's Park and at the Lichens, Mr. Allingham's cottage at Epsom. The events of the first and second acts occur on the same day, those of the third act about fifteen hours afterward. Act One The scene represents a drawing-room in Mrs. Emptage's house near Regent's Park. At the back are double doors opening on to a further drawing-room, and these face a window over which the blinds are drawn to moderate the glare of the sun, which nevertheless streams through them, for it is a fine afternoon in early summer the rooms are furnished and decorated in a costly and tasteful fashion mrs emptage is reclining upon the settee her eyes closed a bottle of smelling salts in her hand justina is pacing the room between the door and the window mrs emptage is a pretty carefully preserved woman with dyed hair and touched-up face she is old enough to be the mother of a daughter of nine and twenty justina is of that age good-looking, smart, and already somewhat passé. Both are fashionably but somberly dressed. Tell me the time once more, Tina. Justina referring to her watch. A few minutes to four, mother. Does the judge of the divorce court invariably rise at four o'clock? He may sit a little later in the special circumstances. To have done with the case if it's very near its end. So I'm told. They must all be here soon, whether that happens or not. Yes, yes. Oh, but if the confounded thing should last into another day. A third day's suspense will kill me. Ma, I suppose, really, we ought to be reading our church services or something. I can't concentrate my attention in the least. I have been glancing at the yellow book. Hark, what's that? I don't hear anything. It is somebody. 
Horton, a manservant, appears. <clears throat> Mrs. Quinton Twelves. Mrs. Emptage struggles to her feet as Mrs. Quinton Twelves enters. Horton retires. Kate Twelves is a lively, handsome young woman, brightly dressed. Justina and Mrs. Emptage, throwing themselves upon her. Kitty! Kitty! Mrs. Quinton Twelves, kissing them. Well, 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 well. Is it all what? Not quite. That is, it wasn't when I came away. It's all over by now, I expect. Oh, Kitty! Shush, shush. Everything has gone swimmingly, I tell you. For Theophila? Of course, for Theophila. Mrs. Emptage sinking back onto the settee. I felt sure it would. But what was happening when you left? The dear old judge was just beginning to deliver his decision, his judgment. Oh, how could you come away then? Certainly it was a wrench. Only Theo wrote little notes to Sir Fletcher Portwood and to Claude and me. Taking a screw of paper from her glove. Here's mine. Reading. I won't have anybody I am fond of except my husband in court at the finish. They tell me they are sure I am cleared, but it frightens me to think you are all waiting. Go to mother's. Mrs. Emptage taking the note. My poor child. Reading it. They are sure I am cleared. Tina, she's cleared. Cleared. I wish you could have heard Sir John Clarkson's opening speech for Theophila this morning. There was quite a murmur of approval when he sat down. He let the dredged Mrs. Chick Ellingham have it, eh? He did. He said that a morbidly jealous wife is one of the saddest spectacles the world presents, but that when her jealousy leads her to attempt to blacken the reputation, the hitherto spotless reputation, of another woman, in this instance a young lady more happily married than herself, then that jealous wife becomes a positive danger to society. I ought to have been there, Tina. I said it was my duty, if you remember. I might have gone. Certainly. And yet you have both sat at home, quaking, behaving for all the world, as if you have a lurking suspicion that Theophila really may, really has, really did. Kate, I will not permit you to say such a thing. Why these miserable-looking gowns, then? You are dressed more funerally today than you were yesterday mrs emptage tearfully if you live to see a daughter of yours however innocent she may be dragged through the divorce court we haven't been quite certain what we ought to put on i considered half mourning rather a happy thought to my mind it looks as if you had deliberately prepared for all emergencies mrs emptage rising in a flutter tina pin some flowers in your dress at once I'll get Bristow to stick a bit of relief about me somewhere. And I'll wear some more rings. She goes out. Justina selects some cut flowers from a vase on the pianoforte. Oh, Kit, we were dreadfully in the dance. Bless you for bullying us. Mrs. Quentin Twelves taking a pin from her hat. Come here. Justina going to Mrs. Twelves. That's shameful. It would have been too rough on us if... if... wouldn't it? 
mrs quentin twelves attaching the flowers to the bodice of justina's dress pray complete your sentence what if miss ellingham had made out her case against jack ellingham and theo for shame tina oh you're awfully prudish all of a sudden kate you've very soon forgotten mind that pin what are you saying i mean it isn't as if we hadn't all been just a little rapid in our time we three girls theo you and i you needn't be quite so newly married womanish with me shut up justina glancing round no longs there we always knew where to draw the line i hope of course we did only when you're married as theo is to a cold dry mummy of a man like alexander fraser the line's apt to get drawn rather zigzag mrs quinton twelves finishing with the flowers go away thanks there charlie picking up a little mirror from the table and making a wry face at herself i haven't had a night's sound sleep for weeks i should think not with such thoughts in your head poor theo i've been fretting about her too in a different way justina adjusting the flowers with the aid of the mirror yes but it isn't only theo i've been doing a bit of lying awake on my own account i can't tell you why justina moistening her eyelashes as she again surveys her face why if this business had gone against my sister it wouldn't have bettered my chances eh no perhaps it wouldn't i'm twenty oh you know nine ach dash it yes and this beastly scrape of theophilus has been no end of a shocker for me from to-day i turn over to the proverbial new leaf so glad dear just fancy i'm the only single one out of we three musketeers great scott kate suppose i got left <laughs> tina but i won't you mark me from to-day i'll alter i take my off i will no more slang for me no more swears no more smokes with men after dinner no more cycling at the club in knickers i've been giving too much away mrs quentin twelves listening <gasps> take care justina glancing round claude back claude Imtage, a plain stumpy altogether insignificant young man enters a young man with a pale face red eyelids and nostrils a dense look and heavy depressed manner what news any it's finished finished don't tell me how it's all right for the year mrs arlingham's petition dismissed <laughs> all right for theo clapping her hands almost dancing mrs twelves embraces her all right for theo <laughs> isn't it splendid <laughs> all right for mamma ma ma she runs out mrs quentin twelves to claude you did wait then in spite of theo's orders no not in court 
I hung about outside with Uncle Fletcher to hear the result. Sitting with a little groan. Oh. I must say, Claude, the victory hasn't left you very cheerful. Cheerful? Think of the day I've spent. You've spent. Theophilia's brother. Pointing into space. The brother of Mrs. Fraser of Lokeen. The brother of the witness in the box. Every eye upon me. <sighs> I see. Oh, Kate, I felt this business in more ways than one. It has been a terrible lesson to me. Mrs. Quentin Twelve, smiling. <laughs> My poor Claudio. Claude, not looking at her. No, don't pity me. Despise me. Kitty, how easy it is for a fellow to imperil a woman's reputation. Yes, isn't it? We attach ourselves to a pretty married woman. We lounge in her drawing-room, her boudoir. We make her our toy, our pastime. Do we allow a single thought of the scandal we may involve her in to check us in our pursuit of pleasure? No, I suppose you don't. Never. Perhaps you had better not come to tea with me quite so frequently in the future, Claude. You are right. You and others must see less of me. Turning to her. And yet, Kate, I am not all bad. Sir Fletcher Portwood enters. He is fifty-one, amiable, pompous, egotistical, foolish. Why didn't you wait for me, Claude, my boy? Sorry, my brain was reeling. Sir Fletcher Portwood meeting Mrs. Twells. How very proper, a very satisfactory termination of this affair, Mrs. Twells. It has been awfully reassuring to see you beaming in court, Sir Fletcher. Ah, I dare say my attitude has been remarked. Beaming? Why not? I've had no doubt as to the result. No doubt of Theo's innocence? Of course not. Innocent? Well, that goes without saying. My niece. But the result, in any case, would have been much the same, I venture to think. Really? You see, my own public position, if I may speak of it. Oh, yes. Sir Fletcher Portwood, smiling. And I happen to know the judge. Slightly, perhaps, but there it is. But judges are not influenced by considerations of that kind. Heaven forbid I should say a word against our method of administering law in this country. The House knows my opinion of the English judicial bench. At the same time, judges are mortal. I have never concealed that from myself, and Sir William and I have met. To Claude. You saw the judge look at me this morning, Claude? No. No? Oh, yes. And I half smiled in return. Yesterday I couldn't catch his eye, but today I've been half smiling at him all through the proceedings. Justina runs in, seats herself at the pianoforte, and thumps out the wedding march. Well, Uncle Fletcher. Aha! What price, Mrs. Ellingham? Mrs. Emptage returns. She has relieved the heaviness of her dress by a fichu au crepe de soie. Mrs. Emptage embracing Claude. My darling! Embracing Sir Fletcher. Oh, my dear Fletcher! Be quiet, Tina! Justina plays the air of a popular music hall melody softly. 
Mrs. Twelve comes to her. I told you so, eh? We all said so. But I've been the most emphatic. Well, Theo and Alec. They went over to Sir John Clarkson's chambers directly the case concluded. I fancy to consult him on some little point that had arisen. I managed to get one word. Mrs. Imptage impulsively kissing Mrs. Twelve. I'm so happy. I contrived to get just one word with Alec as he was putting Theophila into the carriage. I wanted to tell him. Mrs. Imptage pacing the room, humming the air played by Justina. Tra-la-la-la, la-la-tra-la-la. I wanted to tell him an amusing story I'd heard during the luncheon interval. But he hadn't time to. <laughs> it's a legal antidote. It appears that a fellow of the name of Babbitt once brought an action. Did the judge apologize, Fletcher? Justina stops playing. Apologize? To Theophila. A judge never apologizes. He might do worse. Where such undeserved distress is occasioned a young wife and her husband. Hear, hear. To say nothing of her mother. I surmise that the judgment of my friend Sir William was very strongly worded. And I dare say an expression of regret followed from Mrs. Allingham's counsel. But I had quitted the court, you know. Oh, yes. Thea wrote to you a note. But you are losing my anecdote. It appears that a man of the name of Babbitt... Uh, one thing, Muriel, I will stake my reputation upon. Mrs. Imptage peeping out at the side of the window blind. What's that? That the public applauded the decision roundly. Mrs. Imptage pacing the room again. I can hear them doing it. Bravo, Mrs. Fraser. Eh, girls? Plucky, Mrs. Fraser. How jolly to have been there just then. As a matter of fact, I talked with several strangers of a humble rank of life, and hinted that a few cheers, so regrettable and unseemly in a court of law as a rule, I hinted that a few cheers would undoubtedly be justifiable in the present instance, as well as particularly agreeable to me. It seems that Babbitt... Horton enters with a card. Mrs. Imptage, after glancing at the card. Oh. Eh? What's up? Mrs. Imptage to Horton. Where is Mrs. Cloys? Sir Fletcher, Justina, and Claude rise precipitately. In the morning room, ma'am, she preferred. Mrs. Imptage taking the card. I, I, someone will come to her. Horton retires. Harriet, here? By Jove. Claude making for the door. No, she is too impossible. Mrs. Imptage intercepting him. Claude, I dare you to leave the house. Sir Fletcher also moves towards the door. Mrs. Imptage stopping him. Fletcher, you mustn't. Muriel, I distinctly prefer not to meet. But I must have every support. I am unequal to it otherwise. Who will fetch her upstairs? Fletcher, dear. In your establishment? Singularly inappropriate. Mrs. Imptage, turning to Justina. Justina? No, thanks, ma'am. Brutes. All of you. She hurries out. Confound her. I shall submit to none of her heirs. What is a bishop? Why does she select this occasion? It's nearly ten years since she washed her hands of us. 
Exactly eleven years have elapsed since my sister Harriet placed it out of my power to continue on a footing of brotherly intercourse with her. Claude to Mrs. Twells. I know the story. Justina to him. Her behavior on that one memorable afternoon proved that her marriage to a dignitary of the church was something worse than a fluke, a sacrilege. Mrs. Quinton Twelves quietly to Claude. What is it? Claude quietly to her. She called him a bore. Mrs. Quinton Twelves going to Justina. Do you think I could steal downstairs and get away? She used to tell me I was an empty-headed little fool. Outrageous! And predicted I should end badly. Well, you haven't. No, but there's still time, she'd say. Going towards the doors. I'm off. Sneak. Mrs. Quentin Twelves returning hastily. They're coming up. Let them. Mrs. Cloyes enters and stands surveying the room. Mrs. Emptage follows her. Mrs. Cloyes is about fifty-three, handsome, dignified in bearing, richly but soberly dressed, in manner a mixture of sweetness and acerbity. Justina, is it? Justina going to her. How do you do, Aunt Harriet? Mrs. Cloyes kissing her, then eyeing her keenly. Hmm. You are not married yet, I believe. No, I haven't the slightest inclination that way. Oh, my dear. You still tell fibs, then? Indeed, Aunt? Justina retires. Sir Fletcher advances. Mrs. Cloyes kisses him, then looks him up and down. Well, Fletcher, so they've knighted you, have they? Lord Cranberry was gracious enough to recommend. How much did it cost you? Cost me? Well, you've made money. I suppose you could afford it. Pray, let us... Ah, oh, don't puff yourself out at me, Fletcher. I am doing nothing of the kind, Harriet. Then don't. Uh, how is the bishop? Old. Old. Let me see. My marvellous head for figure should serve me. Very old. Born in... We're all getting old. That's why you have the pleasure of seeing me amongst you once more turning to Claude, who bows stiffly. My nephew. Shaking hands with him and looking him in the face searchingly. You're rather old, too. Sharply. Who's that there? Mrs. Quentin Twells, who has been hidden by the flowers on the piano forte, advancing with a nervous outburst. Oh, uh, I hope you remember me, dear Mrs. Cloyes. Kitty Twelves, I was Kitty Powis, if you recollect. I recollect. Weren't you at school in Paris with Justina and Theophila? And afterwards... Yes. Uh, isn't this interesting? Quentin, my husband, was confirmed by the Bishop of St. Olfert's. I, I never discovered it till we'd been married for ages. I mean, weeks and weeks. Gradually quailing under Mrs. Cloy's gaze. And then one day, he... He happened to see me kissing the sweetest photograph of you, and, and, and... Mrs. Twills, I understood from my sister there was a purely family gathering here this afternoon. Mrs. Quinton Twells offering her hand. I, I have to go on elsewhere. Mrs. Cloyes detaining her hand. My dear, 
you were extremely old when i last saw you during your first season in eighty something i pray now you're married that you are younger they look at each other for a moment longer then mrs twells withdraws her hand and after nodding to the others in a scared way goes out silently claude follows her mrs cloyce sitting on the settee muriel mrs Imtage comes to her we have been on bad terms for many years let us have done with it i suggest mutual concessions to disposition and temper mrs Imtage sitting i am sure i have been more than desirous you have brought up your children abominably that was always our most serious point of dissension i may remind you harriet that muriel's cheerful method of training her children has received my sympathy and sanction on the death of the late mr emptage my poor dear herbert it naturally devolved upon me Shh. i am not one of those Shh, sh, sh. your twenty years of married life may have taught you how to manage a husband harriet but heaven has blessed you with no offspring and the world isn't all deans and canons and bishops and things a department of society you were thrown headlong into by the merest chance as you well know without i fear possessing every qualification for the uh the exalted station which which and 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 mrs cloyes to mrs Imtage. there there don't i say have done with it at any rate we're grey-haired women now i am and you ought to be no harriet and judgment has overtaken you judgment this terrible calamity that has befallen your girl theophila oh how is it going to end my dear harriet it has ended has the case mrs allingham's petition is dismissed dismissed my daughter has emerged triumphantly thank god rising muriel mrs Imtage rises mrs cloyes kisses her on both cheeks then turns away you will see theo and her husband in a few minutes they are staying with me just now weak giddy mother am i harriet my child flies to me in her trouble nevertheless mrs cloyes wiping her eyes the dear bishop will be so rejoiced not a newspaper has been taken at the palace this week resuming her seat it has hit us hard how did it all come about in this way i mrs Imtage sitting again why we've all known jack allingham for years sir fletcher portwood sitting a good fellow little dull perhaps little prosy mrs Imtage glancing at justina at one time we thought he was rather inclined to pay tina what rat mother oh however he married this creature olive harker daughter of a major harker crummy harker stout man four years ago this month yes in the summer of the year in which theo was married to fraser of lachine my extraordinary chronological faculty ought to serve me here theophila and lochine were married in the march 
Jack Eldingham and Miss Harker in the following June. I took the chair that year at no less than three public dinners. Of course. When the two couples had settled down in London, the usual exchange of visits began. But from the first, it was quite evident that Mrs. Allingham resented her husband's friendship for Theo. Why should Mrs. Allingham have resented it? Olive was always a jealous cat person. John is some months younger than his wife, I may tell you. No marriage can turn out happily when the balance of age drops ever so slightly on the woman's side. My observation... Rubbish. I know my world, Harriet. What was it that Olive said about that, ma'am? When the wife is older than the husband, every fresh little line in her face becomes an acute pain to her just as if it were cut into her flesh and renewed daily with a knife those are mrs allingham's own words poor wretch in her storms with jack she used to rave out these things and jack would repeat them to theo what business had he to do that pray well his home had become such a hell that he fell into the way of rushing round to lennox gardens to theophila and alec to obtain relief from his worries he gradually became a sort of third in lennox gardens you know aunt a sort of third the house friend who is continually running in and out the man who has dined with you almost before you know it as it were oh and is this all 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 the justification a jealous woman has for seeking to divorce her husband not a divorce, Harriet. She wasn't entitled to ask for that. Mrs. Allingham has been suing for judicial separation. Well, well. Accuracy with me is a perfect mania. Oh, yes, that's all. With the exception of the... the... With a wave of the hand. However... Exception? I was thinking of the bezique part of the case. Yes, yes, but that's of no consequence now. Bezique. Allingham and Theophila happen, both of them, to be fond of cards. And when Fraser was away in Scotland... Away in Scotland? Not with Theophila? No, no. She loathes Lockheed. I see. When Mr. Fraser was in Scotland and his wife was by herself in London... Then a little harmless bezique helped to kill the time. Theophila and Mr. Allingham killed time together? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Where was the time killed? In Lennox Gardens. At Theophila's house, in her husband's absence. Is that all? Absolutely all. All the bezique part of the case. You see... The lawyer separated the case against Theophila into three divisions. Three. Number one. The house friend, as aforesaid. Two. Bezique, as aforesaid. Three. I repeat, surely all this doesn't matter now. Number three. Tannhauser. In heaven's name, what? That was nothing. Alec Fraser was in Scotland, as usual. As usual. No, no. As he is often obliged to be. 
Alec was in Scotland, and Theo had been to the opera with pals. With? Friends, to hear Tannhäuser. She had sent her servants to bed and let herself in with her latchkey. As she was closing the front door, she caught sight of Jack Ellingham on the other side of the way. He had had one of his terrible scenes with his wife. They lived round the corner, in Pont Street. And a most charming house theirs was. I always say, with regard to Pont Street... Fletcher. Jack was in a dreadful state of distress, pacing the streets like a maniac, in fact. He's a very old friend of all of us. More like a brother than a... And Theo begged him to come in. To calm himself simply an impulsive warm-hearted act on her part and it wouldn't have mattered in the least if the devil of a wife hadn't suspected and planted her maid outside theo's house set of spies till three in the morning when theo turned jack out not four in the morning as mrs almingham's blundering counsel tried to establish ha <laughs> ha sir john clarkson bowled him out of there three sir not four be quiet be silent upon my word harriet mrs cloys to justina who rises go away you can sit by and assist at the telling of a story of this nature single woman that you are justina walks away what did i prophesy years ago what did i prophesy to mrs Imptage. now pray how do you like seeing your children dabbling their hands in this this pig pail claude enters fraser and fear mrs Imptage rising ah just come in mrs cloys walks away claude joins justina mrs Imptage repressing her excitement shh, shh, shh. let nobody make a fuss alec hates a fuss no fuss but someone ought to play see the conquering hero theo is so fond of a little fun genuine fun he seats himself at the piano and fingers out the air laboriously theophila and her husband enter she is an elegantly dressed still girlish woman of seven and twenty he a good-looking undemonstrative man of about five and thirty both are pale weary-looking and subdued fraser is gloved and frock-coated theophila is in her bonnet and cape mrs Imptage, her hands twitching well pat theophila kissing her mother in a spiritless way well mother dear theophila goes to justina and claude and kisses them silently mrs Imptage shaking hands with fraser a hundred thousand congratulations alec fraser biting his lip thanks standing at the further end of the piano to sir fletcher do you mind not playing sir fletcher portwood rising and singing see the conquering hero comes not hero heroes no no hero and heroine theophila comes to him and kisses him in the same impassive fashion much obliged to you for sticking to me the last two days uncle my dear as a matter of fact i've enjoyed myself in court i am not exaggerating enjoyed myself theo your aunt harriet theophila turning 
aunt advancing slowly to meet mrs cloys a little dazed i saw a figure i i thought it was kitchy why aunt they shake hands mrs cloys looking into her face earnestly you're tired quite done theophila with a nod sitting on the settee alec fraser advances my aunt harriet mrs cloys my husband fraser and mrs cloys incline their heads to each other fraser then turns away and joins claude and justina sir fletcher portwood following him theophila strips off her gloves let mother take your bonnet pet theophila her head falling backward faintly oh do mrs emptage removing theophila's bonnet in your bonnet all day again your head must be splitting i know do you remember my head at the flower show at eastbourne mrs cloys bends over theophila and helps her get rid of her cape thanks awfully she takes her bonnet from mrs emptage and fiercely begins to roll it in her cape as if about to crush them together mrs emptage uttering a little scream running round the settee to her oh what are you doing there is general movement theophila looking round it's all right <laughs> those things are to be destroyed mrs emptage taking the bonnet and cape from theophila destroyed they were new for the case sniffed em, mother mrs emptage doing so perfume phew i intend to burn every thread i'm wearing and to have a bath before dinner we were rather unfortunate in the case that is to follow ours yes looking straight before her there was a patchouli business waiting to come on after us mrs emptage holding the things at arm's length oh dear it had been flitting about since the morning it sat down beside me at last it 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 and it was wearing a bonnet almost precisely like mine and it looked to be about my own age and could have had my sort of complexion if it had chosen hush theophila <laughs> these last two days horton enters with tea here's tea claude help justina with the tea-table tea is what theo needs she hurries out with theophila's bonnet and cape claude and justina carry the tea-table and place it before the cosy corner mrs cloyes sits with her head bent horton places the tray upon the tea-table and withdraws justina sits in the cosy corner and pours out the tea sir fletcher portwood bustling up to the tea-table tea is what we all need a most exciting day i've often observed how welcome one's tea is on a derby day theophila in a whisper to fraser across the table alec will you tell them what the judge said of me or shall i i suppose it's necessary people heard it then the papers of course i i'll tell them if you like thank you no no i'll tell them you couldn't do it how could you mrs emptage returns tea tea sitting alec come and sit by me fraser sits at a distance his lips compressed his hands gripped together oh fie all that way off you will persist in treating me as an ordinary mother-in-law fraser moves his chair a little nearer that's better triumphantly 
Well, Harriet, you see all my children round me. A happy family. Claude brings tea to Mrs. Cloy's. Sir Fletcher Portwood bringing a cup of tea to Theophila. I make no excuse for devoting myself to Theo on this occasion. Theophila takes the tea and gulps it. You looked charming in the witness box. Piquant. Returning to the tea table. Piquant. Just the word. Piquant. Now, Alec, dear, tell us, did Mrs. Allingham's counsel, Mr. What's-his-name, express regret when it was all over? Regret? Sir Fletcher brings tea to Mrs. Emptage. Claude brings tea to Fraser, then returns to the tea-table. Regret at finding himself made the... the... think of me... the vehicle for such a malicious attack on Theo's character. Poor child. No. No regret was expressed. Not by the judge, either. The judge? The judge never said he was sorry to see a nicely bred girl, so recently married too, subjected to such a... such a... such an unwarrantable ordeal. Fraser is silent. Eh? No, mother. You were wrong, then, Fletcher, you see. Sir Fletcher Portwood holding up his hand. Wait, wait, please. I don't think I am very often out in my calculations. To Theophila. What sort of demonstration occurred at the close, may I venture to ask? Demonstration? Did they cheer you much, darling? That's what your uncle means. Cheer me, mother? Fraser rises abruptly, placing his cup with a clatter on the piano. I... I feel as Theophila does. I must dip my face in cold water. The atmosphere in that place stifles one even now. Do excuse me. He goes out. All except Theophila look after him, surprised. Mother dear, Uncle Fletcher, you seem to have a wrong impression. Wrong impression? Oh, Mrs. Allingham's petition has been dismissed, yes. But Sir John Clarkson and Mr. Martin, my other counsel, all my friends, in fact, were a little too sanguine. Too sanguine? Oh, much too sanguine. The judge was rather rough on me. What on earth do you... Rather down on me, severe. My behaviour, my conduct, has been careless, indiscreet, he says. Indiscreet? hardly characteristic of a woman who is properly watchful of her own and her husband's reputation honour justina coming forward a few steps theo but at the same time he said mrs allingham had scarcely succeeded in establishing conclusively to his mind oh and he thought that even the petitioner herself on further reflection would be desirous that i should receive the the benefit of the doubt and and something about costs she breaks off they all remain silent for a time this this will appear in the papers won't it won't it no one replies sir fletcher sinks into a chair with a blank look can't anybody answer me fletcher will this be in the papers the papers no strong-minded public man ever looks at the papers when I have spoken in the house, I never... Why, of course, a dozen papers will have it. What a silly question to ask, Ma. 
mrs Emptage advancing to mrs cloyes i hope you're quite satisfied harriet you came here after these many years on purpose to witness this mrs cloyes rises to see disgrace and ruin brought upon me and my family muriel how dare you say it i'm only a widow everybody is entitled to stab at me mrs cloyes turning away i'll not listen to you <laughs> how glad our friends will be going towards the door here's a triumph for our friends justina following her mother mrs zimtage pushing her aside go away i don't want you near me oh bristow shall attend on me i shall lie down on my bed i shall have my corsets taken off she disappears mrs cloyes going towards the door muriel she goes out following mrs emptage justina with a grating laugh that smile all over she always goes through this process when there's a family crisis to theophila do you remember phil what directly the news of poor pa's death came ma took off her corsets sir fletcher portwood rising i shall go out people shall see me walking boldly through the streets portland place regent street fletcher portwood with his head up his head up they'll say he paces the room and comes upon claude who is sitting at the writing-table writing a telegram his eyes bolting and a generally vacuous expression on his face and you when are you going to do something in the world besides idling and loafing and living upon your mother claude rising disconcerted what's that to do with it do with it why at eighteen i was earning twenty shillings a week and maintaining myself now look at the position i have achieved from sheer brain force to theophila i shall not turn my back on you my poor little girl don't be frightened of that you were always my favorite niece <laughs> i beg your pardon tina i've no favorites can i buy you anything either of you while i'm out i may look in here again before i go down to the house the finest assembly of gentlemen in the world no patterns or new music wanted eh oh no i shall dine at the house and then sup at the club all london shall see me look at portwood everybody will say then there can't be the slightest foundation for the scandal about his niece he goes out claude looking after him transparent old egoist how do i know whether i'm in his will or not and yet i stand here and allow him to lecture me me ha compare his education with mine and what real knowledge has he of life of men and women showing justina his telegram is that the way you spell bernhardt justina reading the telegram no h a r d t what's this the wartons wanted to take me to see bernhardt tonight of course i can't go now 
a marked man every eye upon me brother going to the door he meets fraser hello fraser claude goes out fraser who is carrying his hat and gloves walks across the room eyeing justina justina to fraser do you want to speak to theo or just for one moment theophila rises justina goes to her never mind old girl <laughs> i suppose this has cleared my pitch for a season or two but kissing her never mind going to the door these things will happen the best regulated she disappears there is a brief silence during which theophila closes the doors have you told your people yes how did they take it all right pretty well mother is lying down for a bit she'll be quite herself again in a few days a few days well she partly to himself in a few days she'll have a week at worthing she's always had a week at worthing when we've been in any trouble you've got your hat alec do you mean to dine out tonight oh don't be so sharp with me all the way home from the strand you'd hardly speak a word fraser sitting on the settee i was thinking over what we'd been listening to yes the things sounded much worse in court than they did out of it didn't they fraser his head bowed awful how cruel it was of them to buoy us up by telling us the case was going right for me manny believed it martin was sure the judge was on our side when one comes to think of it her counsel managed to put such a very queer complexion awful oh i don't know what i felt like at some moments i i felt like a woman caught with bare shoulders in daylight awful theophila looking at him curiously alec you seem to be different to me now the trial's over dear i i we're worn out theophila after some hesitation going to the back of the settee i say i want to tell you i am truly sorry fraser raising his head sorry and i humbly beg your pardon fraser rising and facing her for what why for all the bother i've caused fraser resuming his seat oh she stares at him for a moment surprised and disappointed then turns away theophila to herself oh to him alec i've had the idea that the trouble we've lately gone through both of us over this horrid business might help to bring us together we haven't got along over well have we not too well i'm afraid a good deal my fault i dare say oh i hated lockheen yes as heartily as you hate london i'm a town girl a thorough little cockney you knew it when you married me and lockheen lockheen is a beautiful place london's a beautiful place no no to you then sitting i beg pardon again i didn't mean to be rude i understand how you feel you were born in lockheen i was theophila pointing towards the window i was born in chester terrace i admit lockheen's all very well at a certain time of year but to be stuck there when london's full 
when nobody but a poor relation whose railway ticket you send with the invitation will come and look you up oh the summer you made me spend there just after we were married i was very happy that summer you were in love and then the pipers those pipers duncan and amish were supremely ridiculous to you i remember not ridiculous as you say it great fun for a time but four or five months of duncan and hamish and their pipes to and fro on the terrace for a whole hour in the morning those pipes to and fro up and down all round the house in the afternoon those pipes a dinner from the trout to the banana those pipes and then the notion of your persistently dining in a kilt a highland costume on the moors yes but in the lamplight at dinner it is my dress i don't vary it think of it a man and woman dining tete a tete for months and months the woman hipped weary the novelty of her new clothes gradually wearing off she feeling she was getting lean and plain with it all salt celery about the shoulders drawn and hideous staring before her her eyes dilating and every blessed night the man in a magnificent evening kilt surely that too was great fun for a time it might have been if you had the smallest sense of humour alec but one soon tires of laughing alone no there was never any fun in that kilt it got on my nerves from the beginning the solemn stupid stateliness of it girls are subject to creeps and crawls i grew at last to positively dread joining you in the hall of an evening to be frightened at giving you my arm to go into dinner the simple sound of the rustling of my skirt against that petticoat of yours made the chairs everything dance at those moments old duncan and his boy hamish seemed to be blowing into the blood vessels of my head and during dinner even the table wouldn't help me i was weak hysterical i declare to goodness i could always see through the thickness of the board see the two knees with a backward shake of the head <laughs> well duncan and amish poor fellas and their pipes and the objectionable kelt those things need never trouble you again at any rate we can decide that oh no alec we will go up to lochine in august lochine wait you haven't heard she changes her position sitting beside him he not responsive almost shrinking from her alec alec dear leaning her head against his shoulder i intend to be good in the future so very good what do you mean good i intend to get on well with you wherever we may be i will get on well with you i've been babyish and silly all my life i'm seven-and-twenty i'm an old woman i've sown my wild oats now wild oats forty-four pounds to the bushel and so directly we fought our way oh my it will be a fight too directly we fought our way through the season in london we'll be off to lochine the season here yes theophila there will be no season for us in london and no lochine even for me for two or three years at least rising we're going abroad abroad directly directly 
There will be only tomorrow to settle everything, to make all arrangements. Pacing up and down. The servants at Lennox Gardens will be discharged. The house lit furnished. Perhaps it would be better to let Marler sell the furniture and have done with it. Pausing in his walk. I am returning to Lennox Gardens. No, at once. Will you come back with me? Or dine with your people and let me fetch you later on? She sits staring at him without speaking. Theo, please, let me know your wishes. No, no, you mustn't do this. Why not? Why, don't you see? We've got to sit tight here in town. We've got to do it to win back my good name. Fraser agitatedly resumes his walk. Of course we shall be asked nowhere, but we must be seen about together, you and I, wherever it's possible for us to squeeze ourselves. There's the opera. We can subscribe for a box on the ground tier. The stalls can't help picking you out there. And there we must sit, laughing and talking, Alec, and convince people that we are a happy couple, and that you believe in me implicitly. And when the season's done with, then Lockheen. We must have Lockheen crowded with the best we can lay hands on. Many that wouldn't touch me with the tongs at the moment will be glad of a cheap week or two at Lockheen in the autumn. And we must let them all see that I'm a rattling good indoor as well as outdoor wife, and that you're frightfully devoted to me, and that what she charged me with, well, simply couldn't have been. And afterwards they'll go back to town and chatter, and in the end the thing will blow over, and, and, oh, but to go abroad now. Going to him and slipping her arm through his. Alec, dear old boy, how could you dream of cutting and running now? He withdraws his arm. Theophila, I, I am sorry to distress you, if it does distress you, but I, I've quite made up my mind. We are going abroad. I'll not stir. Would you let me go alone? The awful recoiling. Oh. Fraser following her. You see, you will have to come with me. You'd be a brute to do it, Alec. Stamping her foot. Don't you hear me? Can't you understand me? You're not a fool. I'll tell you, we've got to try to convince people. People? People shall not see me play-acting. Play-acting? Yes, before I go among people to try to convince them, I have to try to convince myself. What? Fraser City. People, people. There is silence. She slowly retreats from him. You, you think there's some, some truth in it then? He makes no answer. It's true, you believe? I want time. I want time. Time? To shake it off. To shake it off? It was awful in court. Theophila partly to herself. Awful. As you say. Her counsel twisted and turned everything about so. When he cross-examined you today and made you say, and then the judge, the benefit of the doubt, awful. Theophila, under her breath. I see. Fraser rising. Yes, that we must go away and be, quietly, together. For the present, there's something even more important than gaining the good opinion of others. There is ourselves. Will you come back to Lennox Gardens now, 
or shall I return for ye by and by? By and by. Fraser going to the door. Nine o'clock or ten? Nine or ten. Which? It doesn't matter. He goes out. For a few moments she remains quite still. Then she rouses herself, and with a blank look wanders about, her arms moving restlessly. Suddenly she presses her hands to her brow and sinks into a chair. Oh, oh. After a short burst of crying, she examines her wedding ring, removes it from her finger, and giving it a little laugh, flings it onto the settee. Then she rises, and with an air of determination, goes to the writing table. Very well, very well. She sits before the writing table and writes rapidly. At intervals she utters an exclamation, then sings as she writes. The doors are open, and Horton enters. Horton collecting the teacups. Beg pardon, ma'am. Theophila writing. Mr. Fraser has gone out, hasn't he? He hath, ma'am. Horton places the teacups on the tea tray, lifts up the tray, and is about to carry it out. Oh, Horton, what became of the bonnet and cape I came in with? Horton looking off. Miss Umtidge lay them down in the next room. Here they are, ma'am. Just give them to me. Horton goes off and immediately returns with the bonnet, cape, and gloves. Thanks. Horton arranges the cape over the back of the chair places the bonnet and gloves on the table and withdraws having finished her letter and addressed an envelope she rises and searches for her wedding ring finding this she slips it into the letter and fastens the envelope then keeping the letter in her hand she puts on her bonnet and cape standing before the mirror sir fletcher enters looking disturbed and dejected claude follows downcast silent and morose and walks about aimlessly, staring at the carpet. Sir Fletcher Portwood, discovering Theophila. Ah, going out, my dear? I want a little walk, alone. To walk it off, eh? Ruffling his hair. I find I can't walk it off. I've been into the Euston Road. I don't think I can be well. Fortunately, I have a box of most remarkable pills at my chambers. They are prepared by Gilliburton of 88 Piccadilly. Don't forget that number, 88. Two eights. That's my system of artificial memory. 88, two eights. Theophila going to him and kissing him, leaning across the settee. Goodbye, uncle. We shall meet again by and by, dear. I shall dine here, quietly, after all. Theophila going to Claude, kissing him. Goodbye. Oh, you've seen me at your dinner, too. Theophila handing him the letter. Give that to Tina, will you? Claude, take care of mother. Take care of mother? Yes, be a good boy and look after her. Ta-ta. She goes out. Boy! My boyhood is long past. Pinching the envelope. There's a coin in this. Money. Sir Fletcher Portwood sitting on the settee, fatigued. Eh? Don't forget, Claude. Gilliburton. Think of Gilly, corruption of Gilbert. Gilbert, a well-known sculptor. Or writer. I forget which. Burton, man I jobbed two horses from. Bays, Burton. There you have Gilly and Burton. Gilliburton. 
my own system of mnemonics, Memoria Technica. It's not a coin. It's a ring. What are you talking about, my boy? You always appear to be masticating some commonplace or other. Horton appears. Beg pardon, Sir Fletcher. Mrs. Claus wants to wish you a good day, Sir Fletcher. I wasn't aware where you was, Sir Fletcher. Claude giving the letter to Horton. Miss Justina. Horton withdraws. Sir Fletcher Portwood rising. I'd quite forgotten your aunt. Do, please, look unconcerned, Claude. Let her see that men can display courage and decision at such moments. Humming an air, he unbuttons his coat and throws it back, sticking his thumbs in his waistcoat pockets. Some newspapers fall from the breast of his coat. He is hastily picking them up when Mrs. Cloyes enters. You are going, Harriet? Fletcher, you've been out to buy evening papers. Sir Fletcher Portwood, putting them into his tail pockets. The malicious utterances of the judges are not in these editions. I thought you never... It is somebody's duty to overlook the reports of this case. I see that one vile placard denounces lively cross-examination of Mrs. Fraser. Lively? Sir Fletcher Portwood producing a newspaper. Here's a rag which dares to give illustrations. Sketches in court. Have you contrived to get among them? Sir Fletcher Portwood opening the paper. I happened to be among them. But the fool of an artist has completely missed my salient points. Justina runs in with Theophilus' letter open and the wedding ring. Aunt! Oh, I say, what do you think? Theo's gone? She's gone out for a walk. To Mrs. Cloy's. Here it is. That's from an old photograph. I don't wear that sort of collar now. Justina advancing between Mrs. Cloy's and Sir Fletcher. What are you talking about? Look here. Reading. Tina, hand and close to my husband when he comes back for me tonight after dinner. Showing the ring. It's her wedding ring. Reading. He believes that what that creature charged me with is true and wants to take me away and hide me. All is up with me. Oh, those pipers at Logina playing into my brain again. Goodbye all, Theo. Postscriptum. Jack Ellingham would not treat a woman so like dirt. I can't hear you. Taking the letter from Justina. Let me see it. What shall we do? We must do something. Uncle! We must certainly do something at once. Uh, it is her wedding ring, I suppose? Oh, aunt! Sir Fletcher Portwood encountering Claude. Don't stand there, Claude, looking precisely like an owl. Mrs. Cloyes returning the letter to Justina. Jump into a cab. You must take that to Mr. Fraser. Justina hurrying to the door. All right. Pausing. What shall I do if I don't find him at home? If, 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 why throw obstacles? I'm not throwing them. I merely say what if he's out or hasn't gone back to Lennox Gardens at all. This is a moment for action. Claude sitting at the writing table. <laughs> what a hideous mockery the whole world is. Life. Let us have none of your sickening optimism, sir, and in the presence of your aunt and sister. 
Mrs. Cloys holding out her hand for the letter. Show it to me again. Justina brings the letter to Mrs. Cloys, who begins reading. Hand and close to my husband when he comes back for me tonight after dinner. Ten or eleven o'clock. Where on earth will she be by ten or eleven o'clock? Sir Fletcher Portwood going to the door. I'll tell her mother. Justina intercepting him. For goodness sake, not yet. Mother's no use. Mrs. Cloy's reading. P.S. Jack Allingham would not treat a woman so like dirt. Jack Allingham. Justina. Justina again comes to her. There's only one very great danger. Uh, why, you don't think Theo would uh, take poison? Uh. No, I mean a worse danger than that. Pointing to a sentence in the letter. That one. Justina reading. Jack Ellingham would not treat a woman. Staring at Mrs. Cloyce. Oh! This Mr. Ellingham, exceedingly kind and gentle to women. Is that the class of men he belongs to? Yes. Suppose, suppose this wretched girl lets her mind dwell too much just now on Mr. Ellingham's kindness. Aunt! Mrs. Cloyce again returning the letter to Justina, with decision. Where does he live? Where is he likely to be found? It's in the red book. Pointing to the writing table. Claude! Bring me the red book. Claude finds the red book. He and Sir Fletcher Portwood search for the address. Allingham, eh, eh, eh. Finding the letter. Eh! You're looking at Ashley Gardens. Mrs. Cloys and Justina join Sir Fletcher Portwood and Claude impatiently. I know it's there. He went into lodgings when he parted from her, and he has a little cottage in Surrey. Claude finding the name. Allingham. Sir Fletcher Portwood taking the book from him. Allingham, John Cranshaw, Esquire, 11 Bentham Street, West, and Turf and Garrick's Clubs. The Lycans, Epson, Surrey. Mrs. Cloyes takes the book from Sir Fletcher. She tears out the page and throws the book upon the settee. Mrs. Cloyes folding the extracted page and slipping it into her glove. Fletcher, Claude, you had better come with me. I may want you both. Claude, whistle a four-wheeled cab. You hear me? Claude goes out. But Harriet... Do you seriously, soberly entertain the notion? Get your head. Sir Fletcher goes out. Mrs. Cloyes turns to Justina. Telegraph to the Bishop of St. Alphas, the Palace, St. Alphas. Detained here tonight. Return, D.V., for noon tomorrow. Get to bed early. Affectionate messages, H. The sound of a cab whistle twice or thrice repeated is heard. Detained here tonight. Return forenoon tomorrow. D.V. D.V. Go to bed early. Say, be in bed by eleven. Yes, love. No, no. Affectionate messages. Affectionate messages. Age. Thank you. Aunt, when I see Alec Fraser, am I to say anything about what you are doing? Oh, for mercy's sake. Don't put any idea into his head that isn't there already. 
not a word to a soul pod appears in the doorway hat in hand cab aunt i'm coming plod withdraws not a word except that we've gone out blindly to try and find her wait you must tell me do you suspect that theophila is guilty mrs cloys looking at her steadily <sighs> woman what do you suspect then i can't understand you why not pray i've always taken you for one of those who pick up the skirts and stalk away as far as possible from this kind of thing ah uh, you don't moved oh my dear what you don't know what was really at the bottom of all my quarrels with your mother i have no children i would have given the world if theo had been mine justina a little bitterly theo theo mrs cloys taking her by the shoulder almost shaking her you too kissing her bless you you'd have been better than nothing she goes out justina stands her lips parted staring into space end of act one